Hello and welcome to the latest Funds Fan Podcast. I'm Kyle Caldwell, your host. I am the Collectives Editor at Interactive Investor. Coming up later on the podcast is an interview with Matthew Tillett, who is the lead fund manager of the Brunner Investment Trust. For the first part of the podcast, I'm joined by Tom Bailey, who is the ETF editor at Interactive Investor. Me and Tom are going to chat through a couple of news items. Tom, let's start off with the latest Bank of America Merrill Lynch Global Fund Manager Survey. One of its main conclusions is that expectations for global growth has potentially peaked among fund managers. Could you shed some further light on that? Yeah, sure. So in the latest survey, it showed that half of fund managers said they expect the global economy to uh, improve in the coming months. This is way down from the peak of, uh, in March, 91% said they did. Of course, this doesn't mean that they think the economy will go back into recession or anything. It's simply that economic data was very strong from the start of the year. Uh, and in the eyes of some of those surveyed, it's unlikely to keep getting stronger. So back in March, over 90% thought that economic growth would improve in the coming months. Now only half do. The July figures also coincide with a decline in, in managers expecting global profits to increase. So in the latest survey, 53% of fund managers said they expected uh, global profits to increase in the coming months. That's down from 89% back in March. And importantly, the fund managers surveyed are now less bullish on the prospects for value stocks, which tend to be cyclical, i.e. they move up with the kind of increased economic expectations. So the percentage of fund managers surveyed who expect value stocks out from growth stocks has now fallen to just 22%. Indeed, the, the value rally has called in recent months with value stocks underperforming growth stocks in June. Yeah, that's true. And um, as we enter the summer months, it'll be interesting to see whether the value rally has run its course. In the first half of this year, um, value shares have outperformed growth shares overall, um, despite um, the performance of value shares cooling somewhat in June. As a result of this, the vast majority of the best performing funds last year, which tended to have a growth bias, have underperformed their respective sectors in the first six months. This was a piece of research that I carried out and wrote about on the Interactive Investor website. So how many of those funds that were in the top charts last year have underperformed now? So I looked at the top 10 fund performers and the top 10 investment trust performers of last year. Of those uh, 20, only seven outperformed their respective sector from the 1st of January to the 1st of July. Um, some of those seven, however, do have a growth focus, which does go to show that the style of a fund is not the be-all or end-all. Um, Scottish Mortgage and Pacific Horizon, which are both managed by Bailey Gifford, uh, booked the trend, as did the T. Rowe Price Global Technology Equity Fund. I, I guess it kind of shows the message to be sceptical of all the kind of uh, best performing fund of the year, year charts, because you know a top performer one year is unlikely to be a top performer the next year. Yeah, I totally agree with you there, Tom. I think it's it's always important for investors to avoid falling into the potential trap of performance chasing. The thing to remember when sizing up a fund or an investment trust that has had a really strong run of performance is that those performance numbers, well, not just the performance numbers, the actual returns went to other investors rather than yourself. So therefore, I think it's key to assess and ultimately take a view on whether those returns are sustainable going forward by looking under the bonnet to find out how the fund or trust invests. If it mainly, for instance, invests in technology shares and that particular sector has had a really strong run of performance and therefore the valuations have now reached high levels, it may pay to wait until some of that froth 
comes off the valuations. Finally, the other news story we're going to look at, which was announced shortly after the previous episode of the last Funds Fan podcast, was that the first space-themed investment trust was successful in its IPO and is now trading on the London Stock Exchange. Tom, could you run through the details of that? Seraphim Space Investment Trust raised its target of £150 million from investors, as well as an additional £28.4 million. Um, so the, the trust will invest in early and growth stage space tech businesses. So this is obviously kind of a growing, interesting part of, of the global economy of, of the so-called space sector. So it's kind of satellites and communications, but also rocket and hardware manufacturers. Um, so this trust will uh, invest in kind of the early stage of, of this kind of cutting edge part of the economy. Um, the management fee is 1.25% on net assets of up to 300 million, although it will fall to 1% when assets rise above that. And interestingly, Richard Branson has actually acquired a stake in, in the trust. Yeah, that is interesting, uh, particularly given that um, he's just recently been um, up in space himself. I think, you know, with this trust, it's it's important to bear in mind that it's, a, it's an alternative investment. And that alternative investments tend to comprise a small part of a portfolio with the majority held in shares and bonds. So I think when, you, when you're considering one of these sort of newer alternative asset classes, that's what really investors need to think about. And they need to ensure that they're, they're not going to put too much of a portfolio into this sort of area. If your interest is peaked, it's important to weigh up whether this alternative is going to add spice to your portfolio or whether it's going to be a bit more bland or give you some downside protection. I think in the case of this um, first ever space investment trust, I think it's ultimately aiming to add spice to a portfolio as it does have a sky high aim of returning 20% a year. But remember that, you know, if it, if it doesn't achieve that 20% a year, there's no repercussions. So uh, do take it with a pinch of salt and um, bear that in mind. Those 20% returns a year are far from guaranteed. It's just an aim that they have stated. This episode, our fund manager interview is Matthew Tillett, who is the lead manager of the Brunner Investment Trust. Firstly, Matthew, could you give a quick overview of how you invest? I understand that it's high quality companies that you look for. So what are the attributes that you're looking for to invest in a company? There's really kind of three things that we, we look at when we're, when we're looking for um, at, a, at a company. Growth is the first thing, quality, uh, and then valuation. From a growth perspective, what we're really focused on here is the longer term drivers. So um, what I mean by that is kind of secular changes that are happening uh, in in society, in the economy, kind of changes that that are going to impact um, industries and business models. Um, So I'm talking about things like the digital economy or or demographic changes. And we're more focused on those than than I would say cyclical factors, because cyclical factors, whilst important, um, tend to be obviously a bit more a bit more temporary. And then what we're looking for is companies that we think can benefit from that growth. And this is where the quality factor comes in. And and you're right to highlight that as as, um, being the most important um, area of focus for us. Because what we want to find is companies that have an ability to capture that growth. 
And what I mean by that is companies that are highly profitable and have can sustain um, that profitability over a long period of time, usually because they have some kind of um, competitive advantage, something about their business model that allows them to um, to earn very attractive returns on capital uh, and be able to reinvest that capital um, b- b- back into the business to grow. Um, and that means we as we as shareholders will benefit from that f- f- from that growth. And then finally, uh, valuation is very important to us, and we are valuation focused. Um, clearly, we recognise that companies, you know, that have different growth profiles, clearly can command very different valuations in the near term. So we, you know, we do reflect that, and we're quite flexible in our approach. But we, but it is a very consistent approach, and we need to, we need to be confident that we can see scope for continued um, share price appreciation and, and outperformance um, given the, 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 the underlying growth and quality drivers that we see in order for us to, um, you know, to, to, to invest in a company. You mentioned that you don't particularly take a strong stance on cyclicality. I assume, therefore, that you are a, a sceptic of the durability of the short-term outperformance of value shares versus growth shares that has taken place since last November's vaccine announcements? Yeah, it's a good, good question. Um, I mean, there's sort of a couple, a couple of things in there. So you're, you're, you're right to highlight that from a cyclical perspective, we're not taking a, a particularly strong view right now. Um, uh, and I'll kind of get into the, re- the reasons behind that. Um, however, just to pick up on the value versus growth thing, I don't think it's qu- necessarily quite right to link that directly to, to the value versus growth. It's, it's often not as, 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 as the link is not as straightforward, perhaps, as it's sometimes presented. For example, there are sectors like, you know, telecoms or tobacco, which are actually quite defensive, but also, you know, very much kind of quote unquote value stocks. Um, and similarly, there are quite high growth areas like, you know, semiconductors, um, large parts of the industrial sector, uh, which actually are quite cyclical, but very much command growth valuations. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's less about the value versus growth factor. We don't really take a strong view on that. We, we, we just kind of see that as, as a function of well, it's a function of you know quality and growth, really. What 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 a company is worth um, today. H- however, um, what I was really referring to with with the, the cyclical point um, is simply what we've seen happen over the last fifteen months or so, really since COVID, is these wild swings between you know, different groups of stocks. Um, so you know we had this period when COVID first hit, where we had the the stay at home trade, where you had a group of stocks that was just you know powering higher every day. Um, whilst you know another group of stocks was you know basically going lower every day, and then we had the vaccine announcements um, and, and the, uh, the encouraging um, efficacy results at the end of last year. Suddenly, you know that all reversed, and we had another group of stocks that was going on a tear. Um, and then we you know, in the last month or two, we've had a bit of a reversal back from that. And a lot of that, a lot of that stuff has kind of not really been. There hasn't been much differentiation sometimes, but you know, with, within those groups of stocks, and all all we're really saying is that you know, as we go forward from here, and, and I'm thinking particularly about next year and the year after, I think we'll probably still see some volatility for, in the coming months, given you know what we're seeing with you know the, the continued focus on cases and variants and, um, and 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 all of that stuff. But once we get to a period where where we are in a in a, in a sort of more normal environment. Um, I don't think the, the drivers of, of share prices um, and earnings are going to be so much driven by those kind of top-down factors, and it's going to be much—it's going to return much more to underlying fundamentals. Uh, and actually, will be less about whether a company is defensive or cyclical, uh, and more about 
you know whether that company is actually delivering you know it's actually continuing to grow profitably and that's what will drive uh drive share prices um so if you look at our portfolio you know we we have some cyclical companies in the portfolio um uh but we don't own them because because we're taking a bet on on you know what's going to happen to the economy we own them because we think that they're, they're going to you know, perform well for us over the cycle and create value for us over the cycle and we just accept that there are parts of their business that, that will fluctuate with the cycle and similarly we have you know quite a lot of defensive companies and we're quite happy to have have that kind of balanced profile given given you know um, what, what, what i've just said you've been the lead manager of Brunner for over a year now having previously been its deputy manager since 2016 how have you been putting your own stamp on the portfolio yeah, so so um, as you say, obviously been, been involved um, for quite some time already, and we have a, an established and successful uh, investment philosophy and process. Uh, so no reason to change you know, anything that we're doing on um, yeah, sort of fundamentally because uh, we think it's sound um, and we think it works. We have at the uh, the team level made some changes. We've actually expanded the team. Uh, running the trust, so we've got a, got a, a couple of a couple of very experienced colleagues that are working with me, deputising um, on on the portfolio. That's led to some stock specific changes where there are differences of views, or have been differences of views, perhaps on some some you know some individual companies. For example, you know the addition of LVMH last summer, Novo Nordisk um, at the end of last year, partly driven by sort of strength of conviction amongst the sort of people that are running the portfolio now. Um, but I wouldn't overdo that point because I, I kind of see that as sort of more or less business as usual, really. And, and as I say, we're all following the same investment philosophy that the trust has followed for as long as I can remember. The trust has raised dividends for 49 consecutive years, which is a remarkable track record. But compared to other dividend hero trusts, Brunner's dividend increase last year was small, at just under 1%. With the dividend outlook improving, will there be a bigger increase this year? Maybe just to explain that, maybe just kind of run through what actually happened um, if we go back to sort of pre, the, the pre-COVID and last year. So first of all, say so we have a November year end. What we found last year was that we obviously had a lot of those dividend cuts um, come at the beginning of... 2020 uh, so around sort of March April including quite a lot of cancellations actually so a particularly kind of final dividends that were declared at the end of 2019 and were then subsequently cancelled as as you know companies saw what was happening and 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 you know we were really sort of staring into the abyss at that point we took quite a a hit there because we lost quite a lot of income for that year that we thought we were going to going to receive and we'd actually you know penciled in into the forecast we then saw a strong recovery initially in in you know in the economy um, over the summer period as companies kind of got back to kind of operating more normally and many of them found ways to cope with covid and and, and the restrictions uh, and that then led through to a recovery in in, in dividend payments um, towards the end of end of last year um, but in terms of our own financial year we we sort of only really started seeing the full benefit of that this financial year so i mean the year ending in november this year so last year our, our earnings per share were down 26 percent yeah so the dividend was uncovered you know the board you know took the decision to you know, put, you know put through a small increase but obviously a part of that dividend was we we covered it by um using some of the the trust's very strong um uh, revenue reserve position now this year and next year as well the outlook is clearly much improved um, the economy is is clearly in a much better place. We look like we're slowly but surely kind of getting on top of COVID, um, albeit you know, it's take, taking time. 
Uh, we've also found that companies have got better at dealing with the restrictions in, in obviously there are some areas that, that haven't like travel and leisure because they can't but but many areas have uh, and we also find that the, the profile of company that we invest in um, you know, high quality businesses that that usually don't have much debt either um, have generally been found it you know easier to cope uh, and have you know reinstated dividends um, in many cases faster than we we originally anticipated and there's only one holding in the portfolio that's yet to reinstate its dividend and that's in the travel and leisure sector so the answer to your question is we, we are seeing a, a a strong recovery this year you know i suspect we we, we may still need to use um, a little bit of the revenue reserves let's see uh, but it's not going to be anywhere near uh, where we were last year and clearly it's the trajectory that's you know that's important here um, you know, as we look through to the following year and the year after we're pretty confident that we'll we'll be back to uh, you know to, to covering the dividend again on an earnings per share basis and that's when we'll, we'll be able to you know to, to start um, gr- growing the dividend again. The, the trust is trading on a wider discount than other global trusts why do you think that is? always a bit hard to put your finger on exactly why um, these discounts exist and why they sort of move around there's a number of explanations have been offered i mean i I think you know to me you know the shareholder register is certainly a a major part of it Um, it's always been quite a concentrated register which has you know meant that the liquidity has uh, perhaps not been as good as, as some of the other trusts of similar size there was also an institutional overhang for periods. You know, we had a very large holder that was known in the market um, were were basically a seller. However, the good news is that m- there's a lot of improvement in this area. So that that particular holder has now sold uh, sold down. That's improved the spread of the register. So there's there's you know, many more shareholders now on the register than there was before the daily trading volume has improved uh, and it's also very encouraging to see that the, the ownership of private investors on platforms you know such as you know your, your listeners have been increasing on the register as well because we we actually think that what we have to offer in terms of our our approach our philosophy um, what we've delivered over the long term is actually you know very suited to um, sort of UK-based private investors um, you know, given its sort of in- income and growth through a you know a quality portfolio, you know, backed by a you know very strong you know, research resource, um, so we're encouraged by that. Uh, we think that that, that direction of in- travel is where we want to be going, uh, and are hopeful that that will, in time, bring bring the discount in. And my final question, which has become a, a regular question on the podcast, is: Do you personally invest in Brunner? Absolutely, I do. Yes, I should say that. Ever since I've started in this industry, that's always been something that I have believed in. I, you know, I think it's an honour to do this job. Fund managers should do everything they can to align themselves um, with their clients, uh, and you know, investing in in the funds that you manage is is, is a clear and important part of that. Um, so I, I've always done that, and I and I always will do. That's all for this episode. I hope that you've enjoyed listening, and if that is the case, then please do give us a like tell your friends and subscribe. Of course, you can find lots more investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.